parable of the mustard seed. Today's reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, many thanks to Sarah Kano, not only for that reading from Scripture, but for the hand-drawn illustrations that accompanied the reading. And now let's pray. Holy God, we give thanks for your word speaking to us through Scripture, like a treasure in clay jars or a jewel hidden in a field. May we carry these precious words with us and live as vessels of your truth, proclaiming the good news of life in Jesus Christ our Lord and the reality he proclaimed, the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, I love this passage from Mark's gospel about the mustard seed. And one reason I like it so much is I have long been fascinated by small things. The first Bible I ever recall owning and using regularly was a miniature Bible. I found it in my stocking one Christmas morning, and ever since then it became my go-to Bible. It was small enough that it was easy to put in my pocket or put in my suitcase if I was going on a trip. It was easy to find a place for it on my bedside table. But there was something about its diminutive size that made me also imagine it contained hidden secrets, especially when it had the words of Jesus printed in red. It was a red letter edition Bible. I pictured it as something like a little box of precious jewels waiting to be glimpsed there in the tiny print. I've long been intrigued by small creatures. Some of you will remember sea monkeys. They were popular back in the 70s and advertised in many a comic book. I bought a little sea monkey aquarium at Susan's Toy Store. It had magnifying lenses on the sides. And you would open a packet called sea monkey eggs and drop it in the water. And then through the lenses, you could watch as these little creatures hatched and began to move around. Now, these sea monkeys, in fact, were quite ordinary brine shrimp. And so some people were quite disappointed in the purchase as they noticed these brine shrimp, once they hatched, really didn't resemble in any way, shape, or form a monkey. But I wasn't disappointed at all. I was fascinated watching through those magnifying lenses these little creatures start to move around. I've long been interested in miniature figures. When I visited Peru for a Living Waters for the World trip back in 2013, something I loved shopping for in the remote villages and markets we would visit on our trips off to a water installation site was the little hand-painted figures ubiquitous in Peru. They might depict people carrying a cross, they might depict a manger scene with little figures surrounding the baby Jesus. Or they might depict people held in a hand meant to resemble the hand of God. One of the Peruvian artisans seeing my interest in one of these more remote villages even brought me back to his workshop to show me where they molded and painted these little figures. 
And so you'll find it no surprise that when the Stetson family used tiny Legos to tell the story of Jesus calming the storm, I thought it was just about the coolest thing I had ever seen. Now you might wonder, and certainly if I have asked myself, why this fascination with small things? Maybe you share this interest and have asked yourself this question. Well, nearly 20 years ago, I heard a helpful answer from a gentleman at the church I served before coming to Knox. I was making a pastoral visit to his home one day, and this man in his late 70s by the name of George invited me in, and I noticed he had a large number of miniatures displayed quite elegantly on cabinet tops. He had St. Peter's Basilica on a mantle in miniature. And as I peered down at it and admired the detail, I confessed to George my own affinity for small things. And I asked him, what is it that draws us to miniatures? And he had an answer right at the ready. He said, miniatures help us to get our minds around a thing. Take that Basilica of St. Peter. It's way too big to take in all at once if you visit it in person. But in miniature, you can grasp it. You can get your head and heart around it. Take it in so that then when you see it in its full size, it's not overwhelming. And I said immediately, yes, that's it. It helped me understand why we are drawn, why some of us at least are drawn to miniatures. It's why architects and designers of large building projects will sometimes render their designs in miniature to show to their clients. The miniature can help that client get their head around a project that might otherwise be overwhelming or too much to take in all at once. In today's passage, Jesus speaks to the incredible power of small things. He speaks of how the power we often associate with large things is in fact present in tiny things if we have eyes to see it. And if we can see the small, we can sometimes get a better sense of things much larger. Today's passage on the mustard seed is the fourth time in Mark's gospel that Jesus refers to the Basileia to Theu, or the kingdom of God. We are in the midst of a sermon series right now where we're looking at each of those times Jesus refers in Mark's gospel to the Basileia to Theu, or the economy of God, or the reality of God. Basileia to Theo has been called the central theme of Jesus' teaching as that teaching is presented in Mark's gospel. And I've called this sermon series a clash of realities. For so often in Mark, the description Jesus gives of the reality of God or Basileia to Theu clashes with the way people had imagined kingdoms or had seen reality at that time. Take today's passage about the mustard seed. Many people in Jesus' day would associate power and grandeur and glory and the stuff of kingdoms with, well, big things. The Psalms, for example, point the listener to consider the heavens or the mountains or the temple of God to evoke a sense of God's power and rule. And so Jesus' listeners might have anticipated that when he wanted to describe God's reality, God's kingdom, as it had come near in Christ's ministry, Jesus would point to the sky or the mountains or the great Jerusalem temple off in the distance and say, that 
is what God's rule is like. That's what God's reality is like. But no, Jesus presents an image that clashes with that perspective on reality. People thought big and grand. Jesus says, think small. He says the basilea to theo or kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Here is a little mustard seed and you can see how tiny it is. This is what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus says. Now, he goes on to connect that little seed with something big. He notes this tiny seed grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, putting forth large branches such that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That image of a giant tree which gives shade to the birds of the air in the books of Ezekiel and Daniel, that kind of image is associated with ancient empires like that of Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon. Jesus is saying that kind of power that we often associate with a mighty empire, vast power is present in a tiny seed. But the kingdom of God, Jesus notes, is a very different kind of power. The seed's smallness and humility places it in stark contrast to those ancient empires with their large buildings and powerful rulers who lord it over others. Jesus will later say to his disciples in Mark, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. But whosoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's like Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, think small, small. That is the kind of kingdom Jesus proclaims and embodies one where power is displayed in humility, self-sacrifice, and love of God and neighbor. Jesus, in describing the reality of God, the economy of God, the basilea tutheu goes small, radically small. Some people in Jesus' time would say, look at the heavens to see God's kingdom. Look at the mighty Jerusalem temple to see God's kingdom. Look to our rulers, look at the kings and emperors and their lofty places to see true power, the power to provide shelter and protection like a tree provides to the birds of the air. Jesus says, no, think small, think mustard seed small. That is Basilea to Theu. In his time, Jesus his life and his ministry it must have looked so small, so humble. Shortly before he tells this parable, Jesus had named 12 of his followers as apostles, recalling the 12 tribes of Israel and great King David's rule. Looking on, people must have thought he had no sense of reality. This itinerant rabbi and healer, along with the fishermen and tax collectors, they hardly seemed a power to contend with, a power like the 12 tribes of ancient Israel. They must have wondered, what is this Jesus thinking? The Pharisaic community, that at least numbered in the thousands back in Jesus' time. That was something. 
the broader Jewish community with its center in the Jewish temple and it, the Jewish priests at the temple, that was larger still. That was a force to be reckoned with. And even larger and more powerful still in Jesus' day was that vast Roman Empire that occupied the land, collecting taxes from the local citizenry and having the power to decide who is to live and who is to die. Now that is power, right? This rabbi and healer from Nazareth and his fishermen followers, they must have looked so small and insignificant to onlookers. Jesus must have looked like Isaiah's vision of the suffering servant. Isaiah described that suffering servant like this. He grew up like a young little plant with no form or majesty, and people took no account of him. And yet today, while the Roman Empire is no more Jesus, and the community he formed, which would later be called the Christian Church, numbers more than two billion Yet whatever power that church possesses lies not ultimately in its numbers or economic or political position. The church's power then and now rests in the humble Savior at its center in the salvation and renewal that he brings. The church's power then and now lies in that suffering servant and his call and claim on us, a call to the humble service exercised in love that he showed us and that we do by his power at work in us. A community numbering more than two billion, a community much larger than that when you consider that the church is in fact not simply those believers connected across the globe today, but in fact a community that spans more than 2,000 years. That's something way too big to get our heads and hearts around, isn't it? It's just too big even to understand God's work in one single congregation and get our heads and hearts around that is often more than we can tackle. So with the Christian community now as big as it is, numbering billions in individual congregations, big enough that we often can't truly know everyone or know everything that's happening in this complex, interconnected community, it may be more important than ever to heed Jesus' call and think small, to think humility when it comes to leadership, and to think small when it comes to areas of impact. Think small. Well, I grew up, as some of you know, in a church of several thousand, and I loved sitting in the large sanctuary some Sundays with its high ceiling and thinking how cool it was to be in such a big space. I remember Christmas Eve services where everyone was packed in and the excitement of being part of this big crowd on such a special occasion. But it could also be overwhelming. I had no idea who most of those people were that sat along with me in that large Christmas Eve service. I couldn't even picture in my mind the campus as a whole, though I knew some parts of it well. If I had only those big crowds or that large campus as my experience of church, I would have missed so much about the life of faith. What ended up most impacting me about the church was not the big, but the small. The high school youth group, when I was a part of it, had a small group Bible study. 
And though the youth program at my church used to have 40 to 50 youth some weekends, this particular weekly gathering called King's Crew was initially just four or five students, but soon shrank down to just two or three students each week. It was often me and one other student named Georgina. The studies took place in the home of one of the volunteer advisors named Bill, and he often led the study. Sometimes it was another one of the adult advisors or sometimes the youth pastor. But one reason I am in ministry today is that little gathering that went on week after week. I couldn't get my head around a community of several thousand people, but I could get my head and heart around that little community called King's Crew. It provided me a connection between scripture and my life and community and God and adult disciples. It was a seed for me, or rather it helped me see the seed that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's small size helped me to understand a much larger thing, the congregation, that larger thing, the church of Jesus Christ spread across time and space, that much larger thing, that enormous community. I just couldn't get my heart and mind around it if I hadn't had that small space, that seed in which to glimpse God at work. I saw church by thinking small. Well, Knox is a much smaller church than the one where I grew up, but we have a few hundred people of different ages who call this community their church home. And even that is a number too large to get your head and heart around. So as with my home church, I suspect you too will find at Knox, it is small groups of one sort or another where you will see Christ most vividly at work, where you have sensed Christ most vividly at work. Now, don't get me wrong. I can't wait for the days we can fill this sanctuary on Christmas and Easter again. I can't wait for the days we can experience singing together, not only simply from our homes, but with a hundred or more voices joined in song together in one space. There's a sense of Christ's work and presence in gatherings like this and in a larger body working together and worshiping together. There's something so powerful about that. But I know that so much of the heart of Christ's work at Knox will continue to happen, not in the large, but in the small Our four mission teams are not made up of enormous armies of people ready to go do God's work in the world. They are small, humble groups of a few people that share a passion for loving our immigrant sisters and brothers or for racial justice or housing justice or sustainability. Our committees are really just a few people who say we're willing to serve when it comes to improving Knox's facilities or calling Knox's future leaders or teaching our children or communicating welcome to those who are not yet a part of the Knox community. Our covenant groups are just a few people wanting to share life together or study scripture together. Our connection groups are a few people connected around a book or common interest, and you come to one of those meetings and they can seem so small. Our new elders will each be charged with leading one of these committees, and some nights they may come to a particular committee meeting and think, wow, this group is small. And they might wonder what kind of 
impact can we have when there is just we few? They may feel like me arriving at King's Crew at first and saying, wait, it's just me and Georgina? And we're not even romantically interested in one another. Why are we even gathered when the circle is so tiny? And then we remember Jesus' words in today's text. The basileia to Theo, the reality of God, the kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed. When sown upon the ground, it is the smallest of seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.